Hey everyone, hey Westsiders, uh, this is Gerald and we're into our summer series, our series on Psalms. And Donovan, I think, started us off uh, with two uh, really good Psalms of uh, one of rest and rescue, how, how God longs to, for us to find rest and rescue from Psalms 3. And in Psalm 8, uh, we went to, we had that great night video of, uh, along with Steve Hebert, and his photography and his story about why he does what he does. Uh, so go back if you haven't seen those, uh, the first two parts of the series. And uh, they talked about wonder and how amazing God was and how huge the universe is and how small we are in that universe. And yet, even though we are so small, God loves us, seeks us out. And Psalm 14 is a song attributed to being written by David, who's a key figure in biblical history, the second king of the Jewish people. And Jesus is described as a descendant of David. So he's pretty important. Uh, psalm 53 is basically the same psalm as Psalm 14, the psalm we're going to go into. And in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12, there is a word-for-word uh, word, uh, repetition, repeat of a few verses in Psalm 14 uh, by Paul. So the theme of Psalm 14 is David is oppressed. He is uh, not in the best space. He's looking for help. Or where is my help or rescue coming from again? It's another song like that. And bad people seem to be, seem to be doing very well. And good people are like him or people who are trying to seek God are having a very hard time of it. And it all starts like any good country song starts uh, with a fool. Have you ever been a fool? Ever done something foolish? As I was uh, preparing this, uh, I was like, I couldn't think of a story of where I'd been a fool, which is fascinating to me because I think there are so many, maybe there are just too many that I could not pick one. But a few days ago, one came clearly to me, one story. And that's a story of, I just felt this, I know this voice saying, tell them the tra your tractor story. So here's my tractor story. I was born, uh, raised on a farm, and so we have a few John Deere tractors. And uh, my dad, uh, I was a teenager at the time, my dad tells me to go fill up the tractor with gas or diesel. Fill it up with diesel. I go, he goes, do you know which tank it is? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm a typical teenager, but I'm a teenager. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he starts to describe exactly which tank. And I remember looking back and yelling, I know, really loud. And then going out and filling up the tractor. I think you can already guess what happened. I fill it up with purple gas, not purple diesel. That doesn't go very well in a diesel engine. My dad asks me which one and I tank I use and I tell him and I'm just miffed. And he knows instantly that I've used the wrong tank and I have filled the tractor with the wrong fuel. My dad goes out and he begins to drain the tank. And I just remember feeling so much shame. And it wasn't so much that I'd made the mistake. I think the shame was in my attitude, just how angry I was about that he, that he, didn't, that he thought I wouldn't know which one to use. I know which one to use. I thought I was so smart. And in the end, not so smart. 
That's my tractor story. Foolish. You probably have your own story of where you were a fool. So we're gonna go chapter uh, 14, and we're gonna spend probably half the time uh, of this conversation in verse one, because I think it's a very pivotal verse. So verse one, it starts like this. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. So right there, that gets my attention. I don't know if it gets your attention. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. Now that word for fools, there's five words for fools. Uh, I read that there are five words for fool. And this is like the worst one, uh, like the most foolish person. It's a plural. So it's like only fools uh, would say in their heart that there is no God. And that word is Nabal. And that word Nabal uh, describes someone who is loud and open and arrogant about their foolishness. Like there is no God, so I can do whatever I want. There is no price to pay, so I can do whatever I want. You say there's a God. Kind of reminds me of an attitude of a teenager, perhaps, that I just described. First um, Samuel 25, there's this story of a rich man. And he has the unfortunate name of Nabal. And he is noted to be harsh and evil in his dealings with people. 1 Samuel 25, uh, verse 3, or verse 2. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. And this man's name was Nabal. And his wife, Abigail, was sensible and beautiful. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. So David at this point is on the run. He is running from King Saul and he has an army of men with him. And he had his men approach. It's sheep shearing time so the people are together. The workers are together. And he had his men approach Nabal peacefully asking for food and drink. And Nabal, who has the food, who has the drink, really taunts him or starts talking smack about David and, his, and, and refuses David's request, a simple request. Now, this is really foolish. There's four good reasons why Nabal should help David. First, David is the true king. He is going to be the true king and David is the savior of all of Israel. He has been defeating the Philistine army, which was all around the area and the region. And Actually, in defeating the Philistines, the Philistines, he has protected Nabal and his men. David and his men had been protecting Nabal and his flocks from these very armies. So that's the third reason. And the fourth reason is David and his men could just overpower Nabal and his men and just take the food and just take the drink. So instead of helping David out, Nabal insults him. And David hears Nabal's response, his reply, and he says this. He's basically like, that's it. And he assembles his men and he prepares to go to war against Nabal and his men and wipe everything out that's related to Nabal. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, remember her? She's beautiful and sensible, unlike her husband. Here's what her husband has done and intercepts David as David and his army are descending on Nabal and his workers. And we pick up the story in verse 23. And she approaches David. Abigail finds out what Nabal has done and she comes, she intercepts him. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. 
So she goes to David and pleads them, look like, he's an idiot. Please do not punish the rest of us for his error, for his crudeness, for his hostility, for really no apparent reason. She goes, I did not know what had happened, but here is food and here is drink. And Abigail makes it right. She reminds David, right, of that unfortunate name and he is living up to it. And ultimately, David says, okay, I will not attack. And 10 days later, Nabal loses everything. He loses his health, he loses his flocks, he loses his land, and ultimately he loses his life. And not through an attack of David, but by a loss of health. And Abigail becomes the wife of David. Talk about losing it all. So Nabal was a Nabal. Nabal was a fool. Back to verse one. So remember in verse one, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. So there is this Nabal-like attitude, this foolish attitude. We now have a lot more data. It's a very different time than when David wrote these Psalms uh, 3000 ish years ago. And more info and more data can lead us away from God. It can also lead us to God. And I think of last week's sermon on wonder and just how we are like a speck on a speck on a speck. You know, just how small we are uh, when it comes to earth and also when it comes to ourselves on earth and this time in history that we take up space. Uh, it just blows my mind. And I know that as I was growing up in high school and university and, and on, that I had a hard time reconciling science and faith. Um, and I know other people do as well. Uh, I'm reading this book, Finding God in the Waves by a Mike McCarg. It's like science Mike is kind of his name. And it's a fascinating story. Uh, Finding God in the waves. And it's a story about how I lost my faith and found it again through science. It's a story of a man who was always having questions and again, having that uh, difficulty with science and faith and discovery and who is God and who am I? And he was a leader in the church and he desperately longed to believe but had a hard time reconciling his heart with his mind. And I can relate to that, and many of us can. So before we go any further, I just want to say that we as followers of Jesus need to create great and safe spaces for people who have questions like that. Um, I felt there was nowhere to go with my questions. It was just wrong to ask a question. We need to respect and strive to understand all people who challenge or may have different worldviews than we do and learn from them and approach them with humility, confidence, and anticipation that we have something to learn as well, but a confidence still in who God is. We have nothing to fear. Today we would call that there is no God, that part of it, as atheism. And it's possible to be an atheist intellectually, or I just, I don't believe it. My mind, I've weighed the evidence, and I don't see how you can come to a life of faith. That people just intellectually can't get there or have moved off that. Uh, there's also, as we're going through this, as we're talking about it as staff, there's, there's a possibility that we can be an atheist functionally or practically. 
So in my head, I say I believe in God, but in my actions and in my heart, does my life reflect a belief with Jesus at the core that we are created, that we are, uh, that we have been saved, uh, that we have been given a mission? Does my life reflect that, that Jesus is the center of my life? Or would people look at my life and go, yeah, you may talk about this, but look at that. That's always kind of my biggest fear, right? Is that it doesn't measure up. And the fact of the matter is it's not about measuring up. It's about being available. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the second half of verse one talks about what that fool kind of looks like. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Not one of them does good. In verse two, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. So in verses two and three, God's looking for something. What's God looking for? Well, like any good pop song, uh, the subject is looking for someone, anyone who returns his love and devotion. That's what God's looking for. And in this song, uh, there is no one. Now, before we get into those next, these next few verses, let's remember these psalms are songs or poems. And like any good rap song, uh, there is bold declarations, huge thoughts, bold statements, raw emotion uh, being conveyed here. And it's, I think it's helpful for us to have that, those glasses on or those earbuds in when we listen to these next few verses, because there's huge thoughts. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them for God is, is with those who obey him. And the wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. These bold statements and raw emotions from David. So fools, so he kind of paints fools as kind of predatory people uh, taking advantage of vulnerable people. Uh, people who are disadvantaged, such as the widows, orphans, and the poor. Wise people then do the opposite. They help those who have been beaten down and marginalized. They don't eat them up uh, or gain from their plight. They don't... What they do is they give up their own rights. They give up their own resources to lift the downtrodden up. That's what God-seeking people do. And at the end of Psalm 14, David is crying out for salvation. Like any good worship song, uh, it points to Jesus. For God to send someone for Zion, verse 7, uh, it says this, Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. So yes, so many bad things are happening, but when will, where will, who will come? And it's Jesus. For God to send someone from Zion to save him from judgment. If you've read the New Testament, we read that salvation comes out of Jerusalem in the form of Jesus. And remember, Romans 3 has three verses uh, from this Psalm 14 in it. And later on in Romans 3, Romans 3 is all about Jesus Christ rescuing people, taking on our punishment. And I'll pick it up in Romans 3.22. It says this, We are made right with God. Remember, no one's right with God. But here comes Jesus. We are made right with God by placing our faith 
in Jesus Christ. Not by doing everything that is right, but by placing our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Not just the chosen people. Everyone. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous, made right. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God. Again, that terminology, right with God. When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for them. It's all about, Romans 3 is all about Jesus paying the price for us. Christ taking on our punishment, rescuing us, um, sacrificing everything for us. And that's who David in Psalms is crying out to see and experience. Like, and really, that's the good news. It's the gospel. Uh, we are spared, we are rescued, and we are given an opportunity to be a part of the redemption of this world and everyone in it. But we, like any Nabal, like any fool, need to acknowledge and accept Jesus as Lord. So may you be wise and seek out God. May we, the church, be a safe, confident, and humble space where people can ask their questions and seek out God. And we can form great community that is centered with Jesus as Lord. Go with God. God is amazing.